Christian life is about change, about transformation, and I know that you have spent time thinking about how you can change and how you can help others transform so that they and you are looking more about Jesus Christ. Change is a big deal for us. Have you ever thought about the context for change? The settings, the best settings in which change can take place. Well, that's what I want to talk about in this podcast. I am aware that God can change you regardless of the context or the means. Let me give you a profound illustration of that. God saved me while I was alone. That was the context. That was the setting that I was in. I wasn't in a church building. I wasn't down at anybody's altar. I was alone in my home. That's where God brought the initial and the most profound change into my life. That's the context. The means, well, I was reading a book, not just any book. I was reading a weak theology book. It's a book that I would not recommend to you at all, and therefore I'm not going to tell you which book it was, and I don't even own it now. But God used a weak theology book, and he used a setting, a context where I was alone. So God can change you regardless, and that's the great hope. And because of that, uh, we can be encouraged because we know that God grants repentance. Now, we don't want to be sloppy about where we are, the context, or the means that we use, the things that we uh, use to help us to change. We, want, we don't want to be sloppy or careless about that, but we also don't want to think that it all depends upon me. I know many disciples need to understand this. Many pastors need to understand this. Quite a few parents need to understand this as they think about their children. They want them to change. Well, change is not on you. God is the one that changes. What we do is we water and plant. And so I want to talk about those watering and planting context in this podcast. This is episode number 127. It's titled, Good, Better, and Best Context for change. I'm not going to be talking about how to change, but I'm going to be talking about those settings, the framework, the, the context, the places where we want to be so that we can put ourselves in the best possible context for change to take place. Now, we want to live in between the two ditches. I've already mentioned them. We don't want to be sloppy where we just do whatever we want to do. That's presuming on God's grace as taking his grace for granted, and we don't want to be guilty of that sin. But then in the other ditch, we can hyper-worry, be anxious and fearful because we don't have the right book, the right church, the right person, the right whatever, and I'm not going to change or that person's not going to change until things are better. No. Well, we don't want to jump in that ditch either. I was alone reading a weak theology book, and God imposed himself into my life, and I was eternally transformed. I am Rick Thomas. You are listening to Life Over Coffee. That is the podcast where I take on topical matters, and I just laid out the topical matter for this podcast. If you want to get the show notes, you can go to rickthomas.net 
Look for episode 127 in the Life Over Coffee podcast series. What you will find, well, there are three articles there in addition to everything that I'm going to share with you over the next few moments. And you can read all three of those articles. I also have an infographic, a visual representation of what I want to share with you. I list nine contexts for change, and I follow the order of the podcast title, Good, Better, Best context for change. And so I want to walk through all nine. Now, this is not an exhaustive treatment of all the contexts that there are for you or for others to change, but it does give you a good idea. And then I I have a brief summary of each one of these nine contexts. Now, again, that will be the bulk of this podcast. I'm going to share that or those summaries with you, but if you want to read more about it, or read what I'm sharing with you, go to episode number 127, Good, Better, and Best Context for Change. And then also, if you want to ask a question about this podcast or any other thing that is on your mind, whatever God may be doing in you, for you, through you, Whatever question you may have, it's what we do, it's what this ministry is about. Please go on our public forums and ask that question. Do not send me an email. Do not try to chat with me. Don't chat me up through social media because that won't work. You do have to understand, and I'm sure you understand, with hundreds of thousands of people that are coming to us for help, it's just not possible to be able to man all of those spots where people can find us. And so we created one big spot, a big one that you can find easily and you can get on. And those are our public forums. There's no charge. You can get on it. You can fill out your username and password and ask any question that you want. For those of you who support our ministry, we have a private forum for you God willing, it will always be there for you, and it's one of the ways that we say thank you because you are the people. You may think that the $5 that you give each month is not a lot, and and maybe in some people's thinking it's not a lot, but it's a lot to us, and it helps us. When many people are giving $5 a month, it helps us to do more, to serve more because, you know, you can call it ministry if you want to. And I know some people have said some really unkind things on social media about me asking people to support this ministry. And it's foolish on their part because there are people who are, they require us to pay them. And the very things that they benefit from is kind of ironic in a way, in addition to sad But the very things that they benefit from, these free articles they read, we pay for all of that because all the services that we have, many that they don't know anything about, well, we have to pay for that. And so if you want to help, I would love for you to do that. For those of you who do do that, thank you so much for doing it. Let's get into this. This is episode number 127, Good, Better, 
and best context for change, I want to start at the weakest element. Now, I'll give you nine here, and we'll move incrementally from, from good. And again, I would, I would not throw any of these out. I would, impl- I would appeal to you to implement all of these that you can that are practical and applicable to what you are going through and the season that you're in with your life. Try to implement all of these that you can, but some of them are weaker than the others, and the weakest one of all are books. Now, I know some people will write, and they will say, Oh, I read this book, and God transformed my life. Well, I just said earlier, I read a weak theology book, and that was the instrumentation that God used to change my life. So please don't write emails about this one, but books are the weakest. They're typically the quickest, and they're the easiest way to change because they're so accessible. Do you know that in the last two years, there's been more written word. There's been more content produced in the history of humanity in the last two years than every, all the years prior to. That's a study that IBM did a number of years ago, that there has been more content created in the past two years than all the years in the history of humanity collectively. And that's a profound statement. If you just take a second to think about it. And so books are quick. They are easy. Uh, the downside to books is that it is a passive way. And what I mean by a passive way is that books don't exegete you. It's not really another person on the other side that is looking at your specific life and asking you questions. And so it's you reading a book, and it's on you to discern yourself, to figure out how to take what he or she is saying, the author of the book, what they are saying, and to apply it in your li- apply it to your life. Now, I will tell you that in all the years, and I've been doing a lot of counseling for a lot of years, and virtually every person that I've ever counseled has read one or more books on the very thing that they're struggling with. And so they take this quick and easy approach to change, and it doesn't work for them, and it doesn't work for most people. But it's quick, it's easy, it's passive. And one of the things that it allows an individual to do is to fix their problems privately. Now, that's palatable to a lot of people. The human tendency, because we are Adamic, is that we live behind fig leaves. We have shame and and guilt and fear, and so we don't want to live in transparent community. And a book is, well, it's just a private way to... Try to figure things out and work it out on your own, and you don't have to talk to anybody about it. And so people go for books, but as far as a context for change, again, you can change, and I suspect that everybody's listening to this podcast will say, God helped me with this by reading the book. So don't hear what I'm not saying, but please listen to what I am saying. It is a weak means 
It's not the most effective means. In fact, it's not taught in the Bible at all. I mean, the only book, and I'll talk about this one later, and I'm not talking about the Bible here. I'm talking about non-Bible books. And so this means of grace that can be effective in a limited way is not even talked about in the Bible, but you can use books. Number two is programs. Programs is a plug-and-play context that folks attend or participate in to, to find help. And some churches are program-centered. That's what they do. And there doesn't have to be anything wrong with a program. Of course, it could be wrong if programs is what you do to help people change because you don't know how to help them and so what you do is you pop in a video and you have everybody come and watch the video or you have some other program that you implement because it, it really can get you away from one-to-one -one discipleship where you are exegeting people. Now, you can do programs in a supplemental way and it could work to a limited degree but it shouldn't be the primary way that you expect change to happen because they're similar to books, though they're not as private. They can bring the needed change, especially if the individual opens up within the community, all the people who gather for that program, that's the community. If an individual opens up within that community and talks about what's going on in their lives and there is some reciprocal interaction within that program event, then yeah, you can probably have change, but it's just a notch better than reading a book. It's a passive, for the most part, it's a passive exercise. It doesn't allow you to actively engage with another human being because books don't do that for you, and programs, you just they can be more or less sit and soak meetings. And so the weakest context for change are books. Number two is programs. Number three are Bible studies. Whether these Bible studies are private Bible studies, things that you do alone, or public Bible studies that you do in a group or community. Now, please hear this. I'm definitely not throwing out Bible studies, but this is what you need to hear. Bible studies are not generally practical theology. Counseling, discipleship, one-on-one -on -one interaction, that is practical, functional, applicable, customizable theology that a person brings to uh, your life, that they bring to you or they, they bring to me. Now, you can't do counseling. You can't do discipleship if you don't have sound theology. Think about it this way. The, the practical side of theology is like dipping a ladle down in a well to draw up water. The water is the theology, and the application of the theology is drinking from the ladle. You need both of those. And so Bible studies serve a huge foundation, a foundation, just a foundation in your life. And you will not be a sound person if you do not have sound theology. But where Bible studies can be weak, a weak context for change is because it's just a Bible study. 
And the downside to Bible studies is that all you end up with is the accumulation of knowledge. And if you have the accumulation of knowledge without application, it can lead to arrogance. And Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 8. He said clearly that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so if you do not know how to apply your Bible study, the sharpest theologian that we know of who hates God is the devil himself. And so having theological knowledge is not enough. Now, unfortunately, some people just love Bible studies alone. And they go from one Bible study to the next Bible study, and they're stacking knowledge on top of knowledge, but they are not able to apply the knowledge that they are accumulating. Now, I will say it's similar to books. The illustration I used earlier, I said that a lot of people, most people, come to me after reading a number of books about the thing that they're struggling with. Did you know that I counsel a lot of theologians. I'm talking about regular Christians who know a lot about the Bible. Now that does include pastors and other people that you would think are that you would call theologians, but everybody is a theologian to varying degrees. We all have a view of God. We all have an understanding of God, whether we love him or hate him. But I counsel a lot of people who know a lot about the Bible. And so if Bible studies is your primary or only context for change, you're not really in a good spot. I'm walking through nine contexts of change. This is episode 127, titled Good, Better, and Best Context for Change. Notice what I said. I didn't say bad about any of them. All of them are good. Some are better, and then some are best. The first one that I mentioned was books. The second one is our programs, and the third one are Bible studies. The fourth one is our ministry. Our ministry can be a useful means. I'm talking about rickthomas.net. It can be a useful means to change because we offer theology. We will help you theologically, but we will go beyond that. We will give you customized practical advice. We will take theology and apply it in a practical way, and we provide you with community. That's the trifecta there. You have theology, you have practical theology contextualized in a community. Now, the drawback is that it's in cyberspace. We are not real-time face-to-face, eye-to-eye, in the same room together, we're in another place called cyberspace. And another drawback to our ministry is that typically we're talking to one person in a two-person context. Two people are struggling with each other, but in most cases with our ministry, we are only talking with one person and the big drawback, as I mentioned, we're in cyberspace, so we're not, we're not in the same space in real time and, and truly learning each other because we are not together. And I would want it to be clear that anybody listening to this, our ministry is not a substitute for the best contacts for change to take place. Our ministry is not a substitute for the local church. We are supplemental at best. 
I've never thought about building some humongous kingdom out here outside of the local church that steers people away from the local church. Our desire, this ministry's force and focus is to help. People ask me, they say, what do you do? I said, I help Christians to be better Christians. We help Christians to be better Christians, hopefully contextualizing them inside the local church. And so we have books, number one. We have programs, number two. Bible studies is the third one that I mentioned. And then the fourth one is, is our ministry. Now we get better. Those are okay, but those, those are just good. Now let's talk about better. Again, the podcast is good, better, and best context for change to take place. Here are some better ones. Number five, one-to-one, informal soul care. It happens in real time with real people. Now, when this happens, it opens the door to more effective care and accountability. You're looking at the person in the eye. You are observing their body language. You are with them, and you just can't replace flesh and blood interaction. Now, there is the drawback to one-to-one interaction because in many cases, they are in relational difficulty, relational challenges because we're fallen people living in a fallen world. And with one-to-one interaction, you're only talking to one person. But there are two people, and you know very well that when the other person comes along and states their case, well, they're going to give you a different perspective. Now, another drawback to one-to-one informal soul care is that you're in an artificial context. You're not doing life together. You're sitting in Starbucks or in some restaurant somewhere, or you're somewhere going through a book or whatever you may be doing, but you're not living together, interacting together. Now, if you are doing this, if you're not just meeting one-to-one, but you're doing many other things with this individual, you're cooking out together, you're hunting, fishing together, you're going to church meetings together, you're going to a ball game together, you are in their home eating together, if you're doing all of these things, then one-to-one, well, it's not one-to-one anymore. It's really group life. It's community life. And so when I say one-to-one here as the fifth context for change, I'm talking about that exclusively. That's all you got. That's all that you're doing. And if that's all that you're doing, it's, it's better, but it's not the best. Number six is gender groups. Now, gender groups can be incredible opportunities for the community to grow together. There are multiple perspectives where everybody can pitch in with their angle, their perspective on the problem, and it's truly, really reciprocal. And Proverbs teaches that there is safety in a multitude of counselors. Now, they can be chaos in a multitude of counselors, too, and I understand that. But there can be safety, and it's beneficial when you have more eyes on the problem from competent, compassionate caregivers. Of course, not having the other gender as part of the community, well, that's a drawback. And that takes away from Paul's one another ideas in the New Testament. Paul's one another's, there's over 30 one another's in the New Testament. Those one another's 
are for the entire body of Christ, not just a gender group. And so if all you have are a bunch of men getting together, well, that's good. That's a good start, but that's not all that you need. So gender groups are number six. And then number seven is counseling, what many of us would call biblical counseling. Biblical counseling is an excellent context for change, and that it's not informal, where you're just doing Denny's or meeting at Starbucks, but it's formalized, it's intense, and the assumption here is the counselor is competent in bringing soul care. And if you have a competent biblical counselor sitting across from you, you're going to get some help. It's no longer a book. It's no longer a passive exercise. It's like the author of the book is stepping out of the pages and he's stepping into your life, and he's asking you specific questions about what is going on. Of course, the drawback is similar to the one-to-one model. If that's the only context that you have with this individual, well, the biblical counselor is going to be limited. He's in an artificial context. He's not talking to your spouse or to your children or to your pastor or to your friends. He's not seeing you in other areas. He's only seeing the foot that you are putting forward. We put our best foot forward, you know. He needs to see the other foot. And so if your counselor only has this context, then counseling too, no matter how competent and how customized and how intense it may be. It's a limited context. Then number eight is group life. Group life, community life, small group life is a more robust context to change because the body life of the local church is involved, which includes all the individuals that should be part of the change process, male and female whether it's those who need to change or those who are cooperating with the Lord in the change process, the caregivers. Group life is one of the best contacts that you can have if you want to change, if you are serious about personal, marital, familial transformation. Now, again, it's working under the assumption that your group has bought into this idea and everyone is considering, according to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, everyone is considering how they can stir one another up to love and, and good works. This is episode number 127, titled Good, Better, and Best Context for Change. I've listed eight here out of nine. I have an infographic that you can look at. The weakest context for change go from weakest, which is good, and we'll go to the best. I listed books, one, programs, number two, Bible studies, number three, our ministry, rickthomas.net is number four, one-to-one informal soul care is number five, gender groups, male or female is number six, intense formalized counseling is number seven, and then group life contextualized within the local church is number eight, and number nine is your family. This is the best context for change. It's your family, whether it's 
just a husband and a wife. A husband and a wife make up a family. You don't have to have children to be a family. Adam and Eve were, they were the first family. Of course, if you have children, you just have a larger family. But a husband and wife is a family. Husband, wife, and children are a family as well. Now, what a family would do is that they would incorporate all of these other settings into the change process, all of the ones that apply to them. A family would be looking at good books. A family would use supplemental programs from the local church. A family would be studying their Bible. A wise family would be participating in our ministry. A family, individually, they would be doing one-to-one soul care with various other people. A family may be participating in gender groups. If it's a, a youth group, which is not necessarily a gender group, but a men's Bible study or whatever. A family may be going to counseling. A family may be possibly as part of a a small group, and then, of course, the best context. You bring all of those things together as supplements, implements, means of grace, of God's kind grace that he gives to you so that this family dynamic can work together. Now, the family is the best context because nobody knows each other better than the individuals of a family because you live with each other 24-7. Now, the key to this context, well, there's several keys. There must be humility, honesty, transparency, intentionality, and above all else, there must be a desire for God's fame, to glorify God more than anything else. Now, if you're moving your family in this direction, you have absolutely the best context for change, better than the local church. If you need some help with this, if you want to discuss it a little bit further, a little more in detail, I would love to do that for you. Go to rickthomas.net, state your question, and we will be there for you. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee. Thank you.